ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Please welcome the creator of the popular 605 podcast and the president of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, your co-host, the great Ryan Last. Hello again, friends, and welcome to another episode of Ron Fuller's Studcast. I am the great Brian Last. I'm very happy to be back with you once again this week as we once again, for the last time, go to the snake pit, this time answering your questions about the topics that Ron has discussed here on the show for the last three weeks in a row. This makes it four. And of course, the man who will be taking us on this journey, the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Ron, are you ready for one more trip? to the state there. Yes, sir. Uh, in fact, I'm looking very forward to it. Uh, I think we've really covered this subject well, but the response has just been phenomenal. And I, I felt like uh, I wanted to come back to it one more time, Have the give the fans out there an opportunity to send me their questions and responses and be able to finish this uh, I don't plan on going back to it. I mean, obviously, we're going to have questions down the road uh, when we ha- have fans send in their questions. There'll be some, I'm sure, that will be taking us back to the snake pit. But uh, I've really been looking forward to this program. And and uh, and I'm really, I say, uh, you know, I'm saddled up and I'm ready to go. And uh, I, and I wanted to, I, I want to remind, we, we, we didn't get a winner last week. Uh, I'm sorry. And, I, but that, hey, that's not your fault. <laughs> yes, it that's is. That's not your fault. I get, I get so into answering the questions that by the time I finish answering the questions, I, I don't even think about, well, we got to pick a winner here. So, And, and I, I look back last week and, and listened to some of the program, and, and, and I know that I, I want to say the winner is uh, the Jesse Thurgood out of Kansas City, Missouri. I thought he had a very good question, and – and so, Jesse, uh, you're going to get the, the signed autograph picture. And, and thank you very much for sending in. Uh, all of the people that send in these questions, are they're just great. Uh, and the, the questions themselves are phenomenal. I'm just really blown away by how, how into it and how astute our wrestling fans are for this program. What has surprised you the most about the reaction to what you've talked about with the snake pit so far? Uh, just a, really about how, how people were. There was a lot of feeling I got from from the responses that people were just, they, they didn't think that uh, that this guy had it coming. And, 
that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it one more time, and I wanted to go back to it. Uh, I just want to make sure that fans realize that uh, this guy didn't just walk in uh, off the street. And nobody went out there and grabbed him and drug him into the building, you know. So, it, they, you know, that's why I want to do this again. I want to make sure that fans out there are on the same page and they understand my feelings and exactly how that snake pit situation affected me. And that's kind of why we're here today. And we've got some great questions. I, I've had opportunity to look at some of these questions. A lot of times I never get to see the questions, but we've got some great questions here. And I think it's going to give fans around the world an opportunity to, to hear how people uh, the, perceive this and just how it affected them as well as me. Well, let's get going now with our first question, Ron, and it is from Nathan Hatton. Did Carl Gotch ever make any type of appearance in the snake pit? That's a great question, though. It, you know, because we've talked about uh, our, baby, our man Gordon Nelson that came in and taught us the sugar. Uh, Carl Gotch is certainly probably one of the great shooters of all time, and I uh, spent a lot of time in Japan and, and really, really brought those Japanese wrestlers to a level that's just phenomenal uh, because of their wrestling ability. Uh, and it's a great question because I don't know how many people realize this, but Carl Gotts lived in Tampa. And and that, that's kind of an odd place to find a guy that spends as much time as Gotts spent in Japan. Now he's 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 in Tampa uh, he's a personal friend of the great Malenko. Uh, he taught Malenko's sons, uh, the oldest one, uh, a lot of a lot of wrestling. Yes, a lot of wrestling. Great, great shooter. Great, great, great uh, technician. Carl Gotch was a, a really, really tough guy. Uh, I never even had the opportunity to meet Carl Gotch. I would have loved to have met Carl Gotch. Uh, I had a lot of respect for him, knowing what he was capable of, and he was he was a tremendous tremendous shooter. And uh, and he and, and when you work with uh, Malenko, uh, with uh, Boris, uh, Larry, Larry Simon, uh, Larry had a Larry was great in the ring, and and you could feel a little bit of Carl in Larry sometimes, uh, moves that Carl would make you wouldn't be prepared for and you wouldn't expect him to, you know, your first thought was, uh, where'd he learn that? You know, and then pretty quickly, it always it dawned on me, you know, well, his relationship with Carl Gotch. So I would have loved to have had the opportunity to work with Gotch some and to, especially to get in the ring and, and, and shoot with him some and just uh, to be in the, in the, uh, in the ring with a guy like that is it's just a phenomenal experience and and you learn so much when when you have a when you're young like I was in the snake pit time I'm 22 23 years old I've got a hunger for 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 learning as much as much working uh, and as much shooting as I possibly can and to to have the opportunity to get in the ring with Gotch would have been fantastic. Carl never showed up at the play. He never showed up at the arena. I don't know about Carl's uh, relationship with Eddie. I, I assume that there's probably something there 
that I wasn't aware of. Eddie was very friendly with a lot of people in the wrestling business, but maybe he and Carl didn't know each other very well. But uh, that's a great question. Uh, I never saw Carl in the snake pit. Now, I can't say that he wasn't ever there uh, because I left in 1971. I spent my first year in the snake pit there in Florida, and I'm going to have an opportunity offered to me by my dad and by Eddie uh, when they're going to open West Palm Beach, Florida. Big buildings just been built down there. Uh, they've had a little bit of success there, but they've never done really well there. And they take me as a young man aside and say, would you like to go down there and help us promote in in West Palm Beach? That was a tremendous, tremendous uh, offer from, for me because that's where I wanted to be in the sport. I wanted to not just be a wrestler. I wanted to be a promoter. I wanted to own my own company. I wanted to do my own thing and have my own wrestlers and hire my own booker and do all the things that, that they were doing. And they said, they opened the door for me in a way. And they said, would you like to do it? And I jumped on it. So about late 71, I moved to West Palm Beach and that ends my time in the snake pit. I don't go back ever to the snake pit again because I'm living in West Palm and I'm spending, I'm making my trips by myself from then on. And as long as I'm in Florida up to 1974 for the next three years, I travel just about everywhere I go by myself because I'm the only wrestler in West Palm. I had always heard that Carl Gotch didn't really like what Eddie was doing with the snake pit. And, and you know, there is a difference between someone being a hooker or a shooter and someone wanting to hook or shoot a fan or someone who wants to break into the business. And I had always heard that it was something that Carl Gotch really wanted nothing to do with and kind of looked down on. Well, that's that may, you may have answered my question that I, that I just said, I, I wasn't privy to that. I wish I had heard that. Uh, that makes sense because you've got a guy like that with that kind of talent. He's right there living in the same city where your office is. Uh, he's going to come there. He's, he's, he would have taken part in that. Uh, and there are things about the snake pit and stuff that happened in the snake pit that, that were over the top and, 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 I, and, and I've got to be honest with you and that the, the person who was over the top most of the time was Eddie himself. It wasn't the guys like Roop and, and, and Matsuda and myself, uh, Jack Briscoe, uh, those type guys. They weren't they weren't the problem. It was Eddie taking it to a level that had nothing to do with wrestling. He 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 and I don't you know, I love Eddie Graham. Eddie Graham is a, a fabulous. He was a fabulous guy, but uh he had a little bit of an attitude in that direction and and it might have been one of the few negatives that he had as a human being. Our next question here is from Dan Kelleher. Who's Bob Roop? Why is he being such a dick? I hate bullies. And again, I've never heard of Bob Roop. Oh, this is a, a pretty direct and to the point here, Ron. Uh, well, I guess it is, you know, and, uh, gosh, uh, well, I, I uh, let's, 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 let's break this down just a little bit. Uh, there are certain wrestlers. Uh, I don't know where Dan Kelleher lives. Now, you know, the Bob kind of started in Florida. Uh, he, he got trained by, by, uh, 
oldest brother by Lars. And uh, Lars then, you know, kind of got him into Florida. And Bob spent most of his early career from, I guess, 70 to, I don't know, maybe as far as 77, 78. I don't know how many years I left Florida in 74. And Bob was still there. So in this guy, there is no defense about some of this. You know, he hates the bullies and, and all that type of stuff. And, you know, Bob's not a Bob's not a jerk. Bob's a Bob's a decent guy. And uh, so, you know, uh, but the, he might not have heard of him because if he lives in, let's say he lives in Washington State or in another part of the country, and he's not a tremendous wrestling fan. He might not know of who Bob Roop is. And, uh, uh, but that's, you know, this, I guess this is a good question because this is one of the reactions that I got from turning people on to the, to the, to the video. And, uh, and while we're speaking to the video, I got to thank a gentleman named Brian Morse that actually sent that video to me. And, uh, Brian, uh, really opened the door for all of this discussion discussion to take place. And what happened here is this Dan Kellyer, that he's not the only person that had a feeling after watching this video that Bob was a real jerk and that, that he was a bully and that this should have never happened to that poor guy. And all those negative comments uh, are based around uh, not really knowing everything that this entailed. That's why we're having the snake pit number four. Uh, it's pretty simple because I, I want people to understand why this went on and what would this was all about and everything. And, and if, if we don't take these negative comments and these people's opinion that what what's all this about? I mean, uh, there were several of them that kind of took me aback. I was like, wow, this this guy, what's gee, he really thinks that this is a horrible deal. And the basics, when you watch it, it is a it's it's a little hard to digest if you're not in the wrestling business and if you're never been a wrestler and if you don't know what it's all about to protect your business and and to do what you need to do sometimes to convince people that you're the real thing and that's basically what bob's trying to accomplish here in that and that shoot on that video shoot is he's trying to prove to this guy that you really don't know anything and you shouldn't be here and uh so this gentleman here, uh, it's, I'm kind of glad the question is there because it really opens the door to, to the positives and the negatives here. There are a lot of people that see this as being this guy had it coming, and there's, there's probably 25% of the, the entire audience that says, how could he have had this coming? So, so that's why I want to go back and do this is because I want people to, to really – get a feel for for what this was all about and why it was happening. Well, this next one here is less a question than a comment. It's from Brad Drake. Putting myself in the mindset of the period, I can understand Roop shooting in the ring with a legit hold. Guys like Hogan and Schultz and many others endured the treatment for months or years on end and became big-time wrestlers. That's some serious toughness and dedication. What are your thoughts on that, Ron? Well, that 
Well, that is a very it, it's a very logical and profound statement. Uh, when you wanted to be a wrestler, I guess there's a lot of different ways to be trained to be a wrestler. And uh, myself, I grew up in a wrestling family, so I started being trained as a wrestler at six years old. And uh, when I started having problems in school at eight and nine years old, my dad was teaching me how to get kids to grit me in a headlock so that I could pick them up and drop them on their head. I mean, you know, it was crazy stuff that was being taught, but, but uh, you, can, you can have all different types of trainers when you want to be a wrestler. You can get involved with someone that's sadistic, and he just wants to hurt you. Uh, he doesn't care about teaching you anything. He wants to hurt you and send you home that way every time. My granddad uh, experienced that with the original Dutch Mantel, who broke his ribs first time he went there uh, and did not want him to come back. Uh, that was a M.O. for a lot of people that trained wrestlers. Uh, the old timers had so much respect and they had they had to deal with it to become wrestlers and once they got to be wrestlers and someone said let me train train can you train me they had a tendency to go overboard with how they trained them uh i don't know that all that was necessary i don't think hurting somebody uh on purpose uh really benefits then the deal, the deal there was that wrestlers felt like if they hurt you and you came back, that you would make a great wrestler. And if you didn't come back, then uh, then you weren't going to be a great wrestler, and you didn't need to be trained. So it kind of kind of all hinged right there on that aspect. Uh, pretty serious. And and the guy says here, I think uh, serious toughness and dedication. By golly, that's what it's all about. Uh, he mentioned Schultz here. Uh, Schultz happened to have been trained by my granddad's brother, Herb. And by gosh, I know Herb did not make it easy on David Schultz. Uh, and, and Hogan, you got another name there. Uh, Hogan in the snake pit gets his leg, his, his leg broken by, by Hiro Matsuda. I mean, so, so it was, Part of part of trying to be a wrestler, you you had to be totally committed. And the guys that were in the business and training other people, they did not train people that weren't weren't committed. And uh, they did not uh, they didn't want to let you know what the business was all about until they could see that you were going to respect it and 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 stand up for it. I guess even with that, though, the argument is if you want to say, okay, you put a guy, let's use Hogan as an example, in there with Matsuda. Matsuda stretches him. It goes too far. He breaks his leg. But he stretches him to see if he'll take the punishment and come back. That'll show him that he has the fortitude to be a wrestler. That's one thing. It's another thing when the guy is stretched to his limits. And then, like we've talked about, Eddie jumps in there with the intention of just making the guy a bloody mess. That's, I think, where the people listening to this and hearing these stories for the first time are seeing the disconnect. And and I, I totally agree with that. Uh, I, I've said I loved Eddie. Uh, he's he's a fantastic individual and did so much for for boys clubs and 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 the boys ranches and and he he had his mind in the right place most of the time. 
but he had this little mentality thing that he just he he couldn't see them punished enough and 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 he went overboard he went too far in my estimation uh but being there and being a part of it you know you think well you just step in and stop it uh, well and that wasn't what you did with Eddie. Eddie was beyond that point when he when he he turned when his mind turned to that violence. Uh, there was no stopping Eddie, and and I almost uh, got myself in trouble the very first time I witnessed it because I was going to step in, and I think somebody that was there with me, and I don't remember which one it was. Might have been Bob. Might have been Hero. Uh, said no, 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 no. You know, they pull me back because, you know, they later said, you know, that could be you, man. He might just turn on you. So, uh, very, very, this, this whole thing, I, I, I think that's why it's so spellbinding to wrestling fans and heck it's spellbinding to me. And I, I, I was there, I experienced it and I still have these mixed emotions about how, what went down there and, and what it was all about. Uh, that's why these these episodes with the snake pit to me have just been phenomenal. I've really loved doing them because they're controversial. Uh, they're also captivating. I mean, you you and and if you there and you witness them live, they're scary. I mean, there it's 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 a it's a it's a good it's a it's a wonderful topic. Uh, uh, and I would give no, I would take nothing for for having had the opportunity to to be a part of it and to to be there and that's a it's just a it doesn't happen in in wrestlers lives not many places had a snake pit not many places uh offered this opportunity not many places dealt with with uh fans or with uh so-called wrestlers or people with bad attitudes uh in the way that they did there in tampa and and i was i was Sometimes I could, I guess I should say sometimes I was proud to be a part of it. And there were probably times when I was not so proud. You said no one could have stopped Eddie. You said that last week too, and I asked you about it, but it seems like such a risk. Cause let's say Ron, the guy that gets stretched and then beat up and bloodied up and runs away screaming. Let's say it's the cousin of the city manager or, you know, the nephew of the congressman, you know, let's say it's someone with a connection to someone with political pull in that area or someone with money in that area, that seems to be the risk. I mean, what if that had happened? Well, <laughs> I'm great. That's a, that's a great question because I that, would, have, that would have shut it down. If all of a sudden, you know, the Senator's son has a broken leg and a busted face because of Eddie Graham, that would have done it. Oh, Oh, I got a great example of that. Uh, when I started my first wrestling company, Southeastern Wrestling in Knoxville, uh, we wrestled one night in Gatlinburg, Kentucky. It was early. Uh, I'd just gotten there, and I had all this background, and, and I, I I could not stand for people to come to the matches and sit in the crowd and, and make comments. Uh, and it, it was because the, I had just taken over and I was going to make changes to everything. I was going to have totally different types of matches. I was going to have a lot better wrestling talent and, and a lot better matches. But this was early on. Maybe my first two or three or four weeks I'd been there, I decided let's try to run Gatlinburg. So we go to Gatlinburg, and, and I go out, 
and they don't. And I watched the first couple of matches, and there's three guys. They're probably I'm gonna say 21 to 25 year olds sitting on the first row, and they are just doing nothing but screaming fake and phony and all these these horrible insults that they are hurling. Uh, and they're not into the wrestling part of it at all. They're just there to make everybody else that's trying to enjoy it not enjoy it. Now, I watch this, and I go to the ring. I'm in the main event, and I go to the ring, and my match is a little different than than the people in the early matches because this i just taken over. And I don't have my crew built. I don't have my type of matches going on. I don't have my type of wrestlers there. And so... I'm out there and they they don't say anything to me. They they don't they don't do the same thing they did in the first two or three matches. And I was hoping that they would because I wanted an opportunity to challenge them. Now all three of them, you know, I I, I would have said, "Hey, you know, I really wanted to I wanted to do something about it." But uh, so at the end of my match, uh Instead of going, leaving the ring and going to the dressing room, I went to the front door where the exit was, where the fans were going out, and I stopped the three guys. And, uh, and I, con- I, I, you know, I, I said, you know, look, uh, you guys obviously don't believe that, that this is real, and, you, and you, you don't believe that I'm real. If you don't believe this is real, you don't believe I'm real. And I want to offer you the opportunity, any of the three of you, all three of you, to come back up here as soon as these fans are all out of the building, to come back up here and get in the ring, and and we'll we'll you'll be able to to judge for yourself pretty quickly whether I'm for real or not. And I was I was dead serious about it. Uh, so I had a referee that helped me helped me get to own that territory. And he came with me from West Palm Beach. And he he comes and says, Ron, man, he kind of pulls me out. Way, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm pretty hot. You know, I'm saying, hey, come on, boys. Let's, let's come back. Come on back. Come on back. And about that time, a policeman comes in the front door of the building. And uh, he hears me talking to him. I'm still challenging him to come on back to the ring. And I'll show you what this is all about. And the, the guy says, uh, are you talking to my son? <laughs> one, of the, one of the three guys is the policeman's son, right? And I'm like, uh, is that your boy? And he goes, yeah, that's my son right there, you know? And I said, uh, well, I started backing down a little bit, right? I mean, like, it's exactly your point, you know? I mean, I was about to to do something that, geez, would have been a horrible deal. It would have turned out to have been a terrible thing. And, uh, you know, that's a, that, and it could have happened to Eddie at any time. It's pretty amazing what went on there without lawsuits. But you, you always have, you all, you need to look at it too as the time frame. It's back in the day, early 70s, when there weren't so many lawsuits. Uh, people weren't so happy so eager to run and find themselves a lawyer. 
when something bad happened to them, especially if they're in a building in which they run their mouth and they've walked in there of their own volition and, uh, and something bad happens to them that they didn't expect to happen. We've talked about the reaction this has received from so many people. This next comment refers to that. This is from Sean Cavini. I wonder if the negative comments about this are from fans of the current product as opposed to those who were fans from at least the 1970s, if not earlier. Do you think that's what it is, Ron? Do you think it's a generational thing? I, you know, that's a great question. Uh, I think there's a possibility of that. I do believe. I don't. I don't watch WWE. Uh, I don't. And and I guess I'm so old school that, you know, I just I, it's changed. The sport has changed dynamically. Uh, I don't even know, to be quite honest with you, Brian, if if Vince and his guys defend the business and take care of the business uh, the way we used to uh, in my day, uh, maybe that's all gone as well. Uh, I don't know whether when they train them, do they teach them any shooting? Do they teach them any real wrestling holes? Or do they just teach them how to fly? Uh, that's basically what I see a lot of when I, and when I do rarely watch any WWE, is I see these, the, there's a lot of flying, but I see very little wrestling in most cases. So, so that could be the case. I mean, if you don't have... Re you don't if you don't grow up in the sport with that shooting background at least some of it here and there so that you do know a little bit of how to take care of yourself then you you probably would look at this and go what what is that all about why do you need to even do that at all but this is a time frame in the early 70s in which Wrestlers were real, Daddy. I mean, they, 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 you didn't get to be a wrestler by, by not paying your dues. And then most of them were pretty darn salty. And if they couldn't wrestle, they could fight. And, uh, you'd, you'd get that out of them if you didn't get uh, some type of stretch out of them. You'd probably get smacked around pretty good. So there's a, I guess that, that's a possibility of that. That's a heck of a question, you know, uh, because, uh, 70s is a lot different time frame. It's a lot different mindset. Uh, even the fans, I think, were probably different. They saw things differently as well because what they watched was more of a wrestling product than an entertainment product. They were watching wrestlers, uh, not entertainers. And um, there's a big difference in that. Ron, this next question is from Gene Gunderson. If a guy came in and wanted to learn the craft of professional wrestling and was respectful and didn't try to be something that he wasn't, but asking only to be trained, would he get the same treatment? Then again, Matsuda did break Hogan's leg. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, Matsuda broke Hogan's leg. Uh, I tell you what, the, 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 snake pit, the snake pit was not a training center. Uh Eddie made no bones about that. He didn't. Eddie didn't need to train wrestlers. He just needed to, to find them or let them find him. He, his his that that 
that snake pit, uh, the whole thing was not based around, well, let's get some good guys in here and train wrestlers and, and we'll have a better, better uh, company. It was, uh, it was more about taking care of people that, that had no respect for, for the business and for what was going on. Uh, so that, that makes a big, huge difference in, in that whole, that whole outlook. And, 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 uh, you know, uh, I think, I think, uh, Eddie was not an unreasonable guy. He, he had to be, he had to have someone push his buttons. And, and if you were respectful, he was a very nice guy. I've seen him be so cordial to fans and, but he had this, that that little you could see the hair on the back of his neck stand up when somebody said something negative something that i don't believe uh that ain't real or whatever it might be uh it just it it fired him up unbelievably and you know it's a lot of difference in in somebody coming in and being respectful I don't think that that would have happened. I don't think if a guy came in and and just said, you know, I'd like to be trained to be a wrestler, they didn't do that on most occasions. I think maybe in Hulk's case, and and I really don't know the total answer to this. I've I've worked with Hulk several times. In fact, he got his real start working for my company in Pensacola. And uh, he was... He, he he was always, to me, extremely respectful. I didn't see any of that attitude. Uh, but I don't know what went on back in those days in the pit uh, that that he got his leg broke. Uh, but he was he was always if if someone was respectful to Eddie, he would have been respectful to them, and they would he would have never put them in that position. People had to really go over the edge. Uh, with Eddie to to get the invitation to come down to the pit. And Nina obviously never called it the pit, but come down to 106 North Albany and, and uh, we'll see what you can do. Uh, so another great question. I mean, I, I love I love the fans and how 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 smart they are and how how uh, how into things they are and, and, and they're really knowledgeable. The fans are just extremely knowledgeable. And the old, the old school fans are just fabulously knowledgeable about things and how they were back in those days. But the answer to that question basically is I just don't see that happening. If a guy's being very respectful, he's not going to get, he's not going to get that treatment. Uh, the guy in the video, he, he, he somewhat deserved it. But we'll talk, you know, I think there's a question that's going to come up uh, that that's going to explain a lot about this particular guy and his situation. So uh, I'm, I'll just leave the rest of the answer to that part. When did you first call it the snake pit? I mean, from the moment you went there, what did you call it? I think they were calling it the snake pit when I went there. Uh, I, re- I remember uh, uh, Bob telling me, he says, Rhonda, you know, would you like to, you know, we come down, a couple of us get together and, uh, and we, we shoot. 
you know, and um, and I was like, gosh, yeah, man, you win, you know, uh, pretty much, you know, three, four days a week. I mean, you got the long trips. You can't do it on a Wednesday because you got TV and the fans are going to be coming in early. But any other days of the week, we go down and it was and it was regularly Roop and Matsuda. I was there quite a bit in that year that I was there before I got sent to West Palm Beach. And uh, sometimes Jack would be there and different people came at different times, but it was pretty much the same people. And there was a heck of a lot of them that didn't come that knew what was going on there, that you could come down there and have an opportunity to learn to shoot. And I, like I said, I'm a young guy and I wanted to, I wanted to be good at every aspect of the sport and to have an opportunity to learn to shoot and to learn things that I wouldn't be, have any opportunity to learn otherwise it was, I couldn't resist it. I, I just wanted to be there and be a part of it. Uh, and I think there might've been some, you know, they would say every once in a while, somebody would say, well, boy, this, this is a nasty place. It's kind of like being in a snake pit. And I, I must've heard that somewhere. And, and it's just, it always stuck with what was going on down there. It was pretty much known as a snake pit, even back in 71. We will return to the Snake Pit in a moment with more of your questions for the Tennessee Stud. But first, a word about the latest Super Stud cast with Robert Fuller. Your attention, Stud fans. There are now four Super Stud casts available for all fans eager to hear a two-hour in-depth wrestling history lesson. Andre the Giant. Rabbit Ron Wright, Crazy Caribbean Chaos, and the new first ever live event with both Ron and Robert the Fuller Brothers on a podcast for the first time. If you'd like to hear any or all of these four three-hour total exclusive content for each Super Studcast, it's only $2.99. Go to TNStud.com. That's TNStud.com or Patreon.com slash Studcast. That's Patreon.com slash Studcast. Thanks to all of our patrons who support all studcast by listening to the super studcast the robert fuller super studcast is now available and is being labeled the best of the four so far and we've got a special treat for those who may not have heard the popular promo done by the brothers for this one thanks again to studcast fans all over the world for your continued support and now it's my distinct pleasure to introduce the legendary fuller welch brothers I want to congratulate you. You're just tearing up the podcast world. The Super Studcast is just setting records, doing great. Just wanted to thank you for it. Good job, man. Yeah, well, I don't know why you'd be surprised. I got over 5,000 Facebook fans out there that want to talk all the time, and and we'd like to be friends together, and I'm sure they'll follow me a little bit. And so, yeah, I'm not a bit surprised you didn't roll it in the dough, son. Well, I don't know about rolling in the dough. But uh, it is really getting a great response. I'm really happy for that. And I want to thank everybody that's tuned in and everybody that's listened to it. And if you haven't listened to it, you can pick it up at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. $2.99 for almost three hours of entertainment. Actually, more than three hours of entertainment. There it is once again. You've heard us talk about it. The Super Studcast with Rob Fuller. I have to say, as someone who was a part of the Super Studcast and the rest of the story, both available exclusively to patrons of this show at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast for only $2.99. It was so much fun to be a part of it. It was actually, especially the rest of the story, it was so much fun 
to actually just sit and listen to you guys go back and forth a little bit. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I mean, it was it was it was the most fun fun one of the super stud casts that they've done so far, and uh, yeah, I I think fans will really enjoy it. Uh, and and you did a great job too, Brian. I mean, uh, your questions uh your questions are better than mine, as a matter of fact. So, <laughs> well, uh, thank you. <laughs> well, let's see if my questions are as good as the listener questions because we do have some more of those this week about the snake pit. And as you mentioned at the top, Ron. The listeners have sure been captivated by that video that came out a few years back. WWE released it. It was filmed for whatever reason in Florida of Bob Roop stretching a guy. And these questions here are going to refer to that again. This next one is from James Lillyquist. That neck crank looked extremely painful. You can legitimately break a guy's arm with that Kimura key lock if you put enough pressure. Was this just another example of the snake pit? Yeah, it was pretty much an example of the snake pit, uh, you know, uh, minus Eddie. I mean, if Eddie's involved, it's a little different, but Eddie doesn't get involved. And in this video, you see Eddie there a couple of times. Uh, uh, once I watched it, I was thinking that knowing Eddie that at any second, especially the gentleman uh, past Eddie try, trying to leave the building, and I was surprised that Eddie didn't grab him right there at that point. But uh, yeah, it, it's pretty much pretty much how things went. Now that neck crank crank he's referring to—that's the sugar hole. Uh, and we've talked about that. Uh, I think in episode two, we talked about it with uh, the gentleman that taught us all how to do it. And it's uh, uh, it's, uh, it's an extremely painful hold. It's a fabulous finish hold. It's a uh, it could be UFC. If the, if a great UFC fighter ever learned the sugar hold, he'd probably be the champion. Uh, it's that good a hold. It's easy to get. Uh, he calls the, uh, what I call a wrist lock, he calls this gentleman called it a Kimura key lock. And maybe that is the correct name for it. Uh, in my training uh, with with. Charlie Carr, let's go way back to a gentleman that trained and wrestled in the 50s that trained me, he trained my dad, he trained Lester, he trained uh, Joe McCarthy, he trained some of the greatest wrestlers ever out there, uh, and that was a wrist lock, and he taught me a wrist lock early on, and he was very good at it. And when I used to wrestle him, he was so old-fashioned. He didn't go to his hands and knees like most wrestlers do. Uh, he would go on his side. And when you ran an arm in anywhere to try to put it around his stomach or, or over his arm or wherever, he was the best at wrist lock I have ever seen. And he would do that same move. He would take that wrist lock, and then he would – Take that leg and throw it over the leg to keep the guy from spinning away and releasing the pressure off of it. And he, the guy's right here, the Kimura key lock, as he calls it, you can break a guy's arm. You can not only break his arm, you can break his wrist. And, and the way that Roop's doing it in this video, you can actually tear the shoulder out at the same time. It's an extremely good shooting move. Uh, and... Uh, it's, you know, that's basically what you saw in the snake pit. Uh, you were going to see um, 
guys like me and and Hero and and, and Bob obviously have an opportunity. We're gonna we're gonna get some of those holes. We're going to get guys in those positions. You know, didn't we didn't break arms, and we didn't crank out shoulders and and uh, I never heard anybody in there seriously that I can remember. And uh, Eddie never got upset. I guess I had a different relationship with Eddie than I, I know I did because I kind of grown up around Eddie and and uh, I felt like he was a father figure and he probably felt like I was somewhat a son in a way. And he never got upset with how I handled things there. And a lot of times I would finish him not with this sugar hole and not with a wrist lock. I would finish him with my dad's hole, with an inside toe hole. Uh, we we'll call it the fuller leg lock. Uh, that was my finish. I learned it as a kid. Dad taught it to me. I could get it on most anybody, and I, it was unbreakable. No, I never had anybody that didn't submit as quickly as you got it. It was a tremendous hole. You could break the leg if you wanted to. No problem. Easily break a guy's leg. And that's saying a lot because legs aren't easy to break. Those bones aren't easy to break. But uh, the Kimura key lock, the, the wrist lock, uh, the, the sugar hold, you're going to see those things in the snake pit, and that's probably just a pretty decent example of what it was like. Obviously, after that video of Bob Roop stretching the guy in the snake pit came out, a lot of people had a lot of different points of view, a lot of different thoughts about Bob Roop. Here's a couple of people coming to his defense, and let's get your thoughts on this, Ron. Melissa Tillery says, Roop wasn't there to make friends. He was there to earn a paycheck. Old school wrestling is still real to me. So what do you think of that comment? Uh, I happen to know this lady. She's a great fan. Uh, you know, um, uh, and I, th and she does, I think probably have a lot of respect for old school wrestling. Uh, uh, and in a way she's correct too, about, he wasn't there to make friends. I mean, he was there to work out first of all, and it would have been with someone else, but it happened to be a day when one of these guys are there. And so it turns out to be a different day for him. But, uh, he he didn't get paid, actually paid, for doing anything in the snake pit. Uh, I never got a penny for going to the snake pit. And I actually had a lot of wrestlers that gave me a lot of ridicule about it. They said, what are you doing down there, man? Why do you want to do that kind of stuff? Why are you wanting to get hurt, potentially get hurt, you know? Uh, so it didn't make a whole lot of sense to a lot of people, but... He earned a paycheck because he was going to be resting that night somewhere. And he got to be kind of a favorite for Eddie, I think, because he was pretty darn good at what he was doing. And he was, he was not, and I want to choose my words properly here. Uh, he, he was not easy on guys. He 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 took it to uh, to a level at which it it probably made Eddie pretty happy, and uh, I probably wouldn't have done that. I don't know the hero did that. Uh, obviously, he he did it with Hogan, but I wasn't there and didn't know how that all came about. But uh, you know, she's. She's, you know, we've got two opinions here. I mean, we've got the other guy the earlier that, you know, it's, and it's why I, I really love this topic is because people are, are so, they're so 
into it. They're affected by it. They, they watch something like that, and they're going to have feelings one way or another. And it's intriguing to me to be able to discuss this and to be able to have fans out there that uh, say, boy, I, I see this or I see that. Uh, hopefully, I'm making my point here about uh, just exactly what it was all about. And, uh, and I plan on doing that later in the program for sure. Jay Boutwell says, when Bob Roop worked for Eddie Graham, one of his duties was to be a policeman and to stretch any wannabe who thought that they had what it took. He stated later that he didn't like doing this, but it was what was expected of him by his boss. And that's, and that's really true. Uh, that's, in fact, I wasn't aware you know, this has all been very good for me. It's put me back into doing some research, and it just so happens that that uh, one of the uh, Arcadian Vanguard companies, uh, you know, the one of the one of the podcast uh, people there, uh, breaking kayfabe with uh, with Bowdrin and Barry, uh, episode twenty one for fans. If you want to really do a little more research and you want to find out. More about this video, there's an interview there that I listened to uh, because I want to I want to treat this snake pit topic, uh, uh, be as knowledgeable about it as I can. I did not realize that uh, what uh, what this who this guy was and actually what had happened for this particular guy. Normally, when these guys came in, you never met them prior to it. You you just looked at them as as Eddie wants them. Eddie's brought them in here. He wants them. There's a reason they have been disrespectful. They have been. They've said some things that made him mad. Uh, and whatever it is that that got them in there, you did not think about should they be there. <laughs> in this guy's case, he might not should have been there. Because when you hear Bob Roop talk about it, he explains that on that particular day, there was a guy at the front desk of, of the old snake, the old, uh, the 106 North Albany wrestling office. The sportatorium. The old sportatorium. And Charlie, Charlie Lay was always the guy there at the front, the, fr the first desk. He's the first person you saw when you came to the building. The day this gentleman came in, he was not, Charlie wasn't there. And another guy, there was a personal friend of Eddie's who had, had something to do with the armory in which they wrestled. We wrestled at in Tampa on Tuesdays. And Eddie and this guy were friends for many, many years. And somehow this guy ends up at the front desk to replace Charlie Lay. This guy comes in, wants to talk about being a wrestler. He thinks that that the guy's a smart ass and he automatically calls Eddie says, we got a guy here. Uh, Eddie then calls Rube. Rube comes down. Eddie shows up and it turns out that the guy is kind of a wrestler. <coughs> I don't know about his attitude. Didn't hear the conversation. Neither did Rube. But when Rube gets in the ring with him, he expects that this guy deserves whatever happens here. And that. You know, also, too, I, I noticed that, you know, Bob, he really had, 
I think he really had bad feelings about what he, the position he was put in by Eddie on many, many occasions to hurt guys uh, just for Eddie's uh, benefit. Uh, also, this was intriguing to me that, that Bob's conversation here, and I noticed in the video, and if you watch the video, there are several times in which Roop gets this guy away from Eddie to the far side of the ring. And he actually talks to him. He says, you need to get out of here. He's trying to buzz the guy that, you know, that I'm going to be having to hurt you. And if you can go, you need to go. And the guy on a couple of occasions starts to leave in that way. Uh, so, so Roop is trying not to hurt him. Uh, and I, I admire Bob for that. I, I know Bob was put in a bad position on many occasions, and that was probably uh, a bit difficult for him to handle. I don't know. He doesn't have the same mentality and and the same thought processes that Eddie has when it comes to dealing with these guys. And uh, it probably put Bob in a very bad situation. But, you know, episode 21, Breaking Kayfabe with uh, Bowdrin and Barry, I recommend that people – if they really want to continue in the process here um, and and uh, see exactly what went on in Bob's mind, that's a that's a really good program for them to listen to, and uh, I recommend that they do so. And you can get that show at bowdrinpod.com or search for Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry at iTunes or wherever you find your favorite shows. But one last question here this week, Ron, from the listeners about the Snake Pit. And it's from Johnny Viola. And again, it's not really a question as much as a comment. Actually, Bob Roop is kind of going hard verbally, but easy on him physically. There is more than one spot where Roop could have easily done damage, but doesn't. That kind of goes into what you were just talking about, Ron. Just perfect. Great question at a great time. I mean, uh, that's kind of the impression that I got. Uh, I could see that Bob was not pushing it to the to to the place that Eddie wanted him to, and uh, and then you know when I heard the conversation with Bob, it made more sense. You know, I could see that he really was trying to get this guy out of that building without being bloodied up or without being broken up, and uh, that's a pretty good thing for for a guy like Bob. Uh, I have respect for Bob in that circumstance. I have respect for Bob in a lot of different ways. And uh, it, it's, it's, it, Eddie put people in a, in a difficult position sometimes. Uh, it sometimes depended on, too, when you were in the, in, those, in the place and there was only one guy there and Eddie and maybe the three or four of us. It's, uh, it was a – it was a – strange place to be at the time you didn't know what to expect you knew what to expect from the guys that's going to be in the ring but you didn't know what to expect from eddie and you were always a little apprehensive about how this is going to end and uh in this guy's case he left there i think he had no broken bones uh and and i, I believe it looked like that bob went after him at the end of it he left the ring and he goes into the dark because the building is not lit up. It's it just the ring is lit up. You can't see back there. But where he was headed is an actual exit out of the building. 
So Bob had maybe buzzed him and said, you know, you need to get out of this side of the ring. You need to go out that door. And uh, so, you know, I don't know that Bob went back there and started beating him up. I'm not sure that happened. I had some couple of people that had the had the feeling that Bob went after him after he left the ring trying to leave the building. I don't know that that's the case. And uh, after listening to Bob's side of it, I think it's probably not the case. Well, with that, we put another episode of the Studcast to bed, and we put the snake pit in the history books as we wrap things up. Please remember, you can like the Tennessee Stud on Facebook. His Facebook page is Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud. There was another page, but it is now totally full. So look for Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud on Facebook. You can follow the Stud on Twitter and Instagram at... Ron Fuller Welch. Don't miss any of the fantastic Super Stud cast now available. Andre the Giant, Ron Wright, Caribbean Chaos, and the latest with the Tennessee Studs brother Robert Fuller, all available at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. You get three extra hours of the Tennessee Stud each month for only $2.99. What better deal than that? Once again, tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. You can follow me on Twitter at greatbrianlast, and you can listen to me each week on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Ron, what's in store for us next week? Where are we headed on the next studcast? Uh, we're going to go back like we were prior to getting getting into the snake pit here. We're going to go back and... uh and we're going to talk wrestling again in my first year uh, in Florida. And uh, I was looking at the list of my matches that the gentleman was nice enough to send me. We're going to talk about a lot of different stars. I never realized how many talented guys I wrestled in my first year. We're going to talk about uh, Boris Malenko. We're going to talk about Mr. Wrestling Number 2, Johnny Walker. We're going to talk about Hippie Mike Boyette who was a big star along the Gulf Coast. Uh, we're going to talk about the Medics, one of the great tag teams of all time. Jack and Jim Dalton, another great tag team. We're going to talk a little bit. We might even get into Ron Wright and his chisel. That took place in my first year in Florida. That is a tremendous, tremendous story right there. Uh, yeah, Hans Smith, another one. Uh, and I'm going to wrestle in a tag team match with a guy that was personal friends of my family in Arizona when I was in the eighth grade and the ninth grade, Jose Lothario. Uh, I really love that guy. I'm actually going to get the tag with Jose Lothario uh, during that time period. It's just a, a lot of tremendous talent in Florida. And uh, once I started looking back at these, I realized just how much tremendous talent. I'm, I'm going to have my first shot at a at a title, the Southern Heavyweight title match uh, with Rene Goulet. Uh, so I'm going to get into all of that. We're going to talk a lot of wrestling next week and a lot of different wrestlers. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. We've talked about the snake pit now for four episodes. So before we completely wrap things up, do you have any final words before we leave the snake pit behind? Yeah, yeah, Brian, I do. Um, you know, I I never do anything. I never put anything in writing. Uh, 
when I do these stud casts, the, this all comes from heart. It comes from the heart and from my head, and it's it's straight off the top. Uh, but this topic is just it, it's it's really affected me some ways, and uh, and I I, I would like to say something here, and and I and I and I wrote it down because I don't want to leave out parts of this. I I want people at home and around the world to to uh to really know how I feel about about the snake pit itself and so I asked myself I asked a question to myself why was there a snake pit uh and it was simple uh because there were professional wrestlers that's why there was a snake pit I mean professional wrestling is one of the most unusual sports on the planet I mean, it's it's part shoot it's part show and in my family's case it's four generations of men that gave their lives to it, to the sport itself. It is a sport that it, it's evolved over centuries, uh, long before my grandfather, Roy Welch, began his career. hundred years ago, professional wrestlers were committed to protecting their profession. In all my years in pro wrestling, I can't think, I can think of a few wrestlers that went looking for a physical altercation with a fan of the sport. It was much more often the other way around that the, the fan looks for an altercation with the wrestler. Uh, my father, my grandfather, and, and I got 20 people in my bloodline uh, that uh, were, were no exception to that rule. They, they, they stood up for the profession. And, uh, and families like the Grams and the Von Erics and the Funks in America and the, the Hearts and the Rougeaus, and the Vachans in Canada, the Guerreras, and the Torres brothers uh, out of Mexico, and hundreds of others over the years have fought for this business. And uh, there's a pride in what we do. Uh, it's a price to pay to get in it, and a drive to defend it once you're there. Uh, that defense of your livelihood has always been a part of it. I can't speak for today's wrestlers or owner, uh, but as old school professional wrestler, no word or action is more important than the seven letter word respect. The stories and experiences that we've spoken about in these last four episodes happen to have come from inside the Florida wrestling office and television studios, the Sportatorium at 106 North Albany in Tampa but have occurred often in hundreds of places, different places around the world where wrestlers are concerned. I know for certain that no one was ever dragged off the street for a snake pit experience. I also know every single person that ever passed through those doors there at 106 North Albany were there because they chose to be. Now, when you end up at the wrong place at the wrong time, and it is your own mistake that puts you there. You should not blame anybody else for what happens to you. That's it. That's all I got to say. And that's your final word on the snake pit. The Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network for the Tennessee Stud Ron Fuller. I'm the great Brian Last. The story continues next week. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three.
three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.